Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, it's Brennan here to deliver the new segment of our podcast where we'll drop some of the new happenings in the industry. This week, White Wolf put out a brand update where they announced Dave Achille was transitioning to a contract position and moving back to the States. Also, that he'd be contributing to the video game developer Red Storm Entertainment. Now, this company has worked on several of uh, big-name Ubisoft titles like uh, Far Cry and The Division. And interestingly enough... The Paradox Interactive CEO, Frederick Wester, told the Swedish uh, website Avanza just the other day that Bloodlines 2, while it was removed from Hardsuit Labs last year, got an internal pitch from Paradox that was good enough to keep the title going. He didn't say what developer was taking the project, other than it's a very reputable and talented developer. Now, these... Uh, statements came a couple of days apart to like a week apart. So, uh, I don't know about you. Maybe I've been playing a little too many vampire politics lately, but, uh, uh, maybe there's a connection between these two announcements. Uh, only time's gonna tell, though. Also, folks, don't forget to check out Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliation. That's an upcoming role-playing board game from Flyos people behind Vampire the Masquerade chapters. Look for retaliation to kickstart in early 2022. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to Sabat V5 Part 3. Um, naturally, I'm here accompanied with DJ. How you doing, bro? I'm doing good. How's it going, everyone? Part 3. Let's go! Part 3. See, that's, that's a misnomer. We've been digging deep into this book, obviously. It comes in three parts, over three hours of content that we had and found. How could we possibly talk about this stuff? Very easy. Incredibly passionate about it. Um, just to get it out of the way, I'm well aware that I said that we were going to do this in two parts. Welcome to the love of production and shortchanging your editor and filling them in on all the gaps that you had to do and wanted to do. Um, it, was a, it was the thing of time we had our wires crossed. That's what you heard, folks. It's not a meltdown. Nothing's wrong. Just that that happens now and again. Really only one time that time. And uh, in the future, we'll look forward to uh, definitely setting us up for success before we make proclamations. We don't know how it's going to roll out. So we get excited Let, let's, because like, let's be real. We literally get excited. And what ends up happening is Bob and I could talk forever. And at one point, we're like, oh, shit, we got to stop now. And then Brentron starts to panic and he flails his arm exactly as you would when you take a look at a car salesman and his arms <laughs> just start moving around. So Brentron's usually there to keep pace for us. But it only means more content for you folks. Right. So we have to spread it out. For the record, I do not flail. That's precisely what it means. So we're going to keep that going, though, um, and kind of dive back into this. I know we left off, we were, we were talking about a lot dealing with the Sabbat, and we didn't really get to what everybody was waiting for. What is the Gehenna War? Things like that. Or what someone asked me in passing is just saying, hey, man, you know, what about the titles and whatnot? What, how have those changed? Is he still around? How does that work? And that's what part three is about. And we're going to start with the titles, actually. I feel that is something that uh, a lot of folks are curious about, but we're not going to we're not gonna tear through what every single individual title means that is old hat. We'll go over some that are new and some that are standard. And uh, real quick, uh, DJ, why don't you take us from the top, man? Let's start with that region. What has the region become? And what is the region and what has it become? 
the regent was at the top of the ladder. It was the appointed director, for lack of a better term, the Saban. And we knew that at the end of Beckett's Jihad diary, people were trying to figure out what happens now that Gabriel is gone and whether or not Lucida takes the crown in that particular thing. Um, nowadays, it doesn't mean anything. Why? Because there's no point in having office when everyone's off to war. You're not you're not playing the political game anymore. And so that title has been left kind of just standing there. And there's only, you know, people who are probably or rather I should say K-Knights who are that political mind are trying to keep that intact to see whether or not it's something they could grab. But by and far, as of right now, it's just it's like an empty it's a haunted house. It's there entitled, <laughs> but no one's holding it. Um, and as they put here, they said that this about has basically become a, like a confederation of wild-eyed malvolent cults right. that are kind of dancing to this alleged tune. You don't get or head ahead anything in a, in a confederation, right? That's a group of people who believe in the philosophy, but they don't have one figurehead. You know, that's they all have a voice, right? That's kind of how that goes. We all agree to be together. We all have our own appointed, self-appointed leadership to represent us. You're here. We're going to figure it out. But we we're like our own sovereign thing. Except, not quite, as we know that, right? We're not saying this is the Sabbat saying, we're just simply saying the point of region is lost. When you think think about it, they had to all wake up and go to war. It's that simple. You had to, you had to move from politics straight into it, like you said. And that rolls into what an archbishop and a bishop is now. Now, it's strange that we're kind of segueing here, but uh, why I think it's important is because immediately in your head, if you say the region isn't there anymore, then who's ruling anything? And the answer is, well, technically, your archbishops and bishops are sort of maintaining domains to best serve uh, the Gehenna war effort. They need to have something that is still funneling them resources, that's still sending them people and blood and money and all, all sorts, right? They're, they're waging a war from one continent to another. This requires, well, assets, lines of supply and all that other fun stuff. Look up wars and you get an idea and uh, definitely that's what it is. But why are the archbishop and bishops responsible for that? Really, it's simple. They're the authoritarian positions that people are used to dealing with. You know, a bishop in a city would be akin to a primogen as we know. And most likely, you're like, think of a player character standpoint. Probably every one of your player characters know who a bishop is or all the bishops. But do they know who the archbishop is on the reg and the archbishop's like the prince? And, you know, as we know, the archbishop would control a city, but the bishops help him control sections of that city. And so you know of these positions. And that's what they do. But they got to hold down those domains the Sabbat do have left that they are holding. I won't say a sacred, but they're trying to maintain from the Anarchs of Camarilla that no doubt are hounding these domains to remove it from the Sabbat. I also feel that, that the importance on them kind of grew um, in comparison to before, because when we were taking a look at the previous structure, obviously region, and we had the archbishop and bishop, they were just nomenclature, right? Much like prince. What, you, like, you don't think about it too much outside of its structure, but with the lack of, with, with war being the primary thing and this being a spiritual cult, the spiritual aspect is a lot stronger in these titles now because they are the centers. At one point or another, you did have to petition to a bishop or archbishop to have certain things happen. Your priest had to go up and have that conversation. And even more so now that the spiritual aspect and following paths is of importance, those archbishops and bishops that did get left behind, there's a lot more weight behind their titles than there was ever before. There, There is and there, well, it's interesting you took it that they're more important now than they once were because I had the reverse. I felt they were not as important. Like these are the elders who are back there holding it. You have that title, but ultimately, what do you, what do you weigh into the war other than being the people, other than being the supply sergeant? 
You know, how many do we have of what and can you deliver? That's yes or no. Because you're the coward sitting back here telling us we have to we have to answer the war drum. Like who cares about you? The peck priest is way more important to me in the field than the archbishop or bishop would be waiting safely thousands of miles back in the city we started in. You know what I mean? And teach their own. I mean, it, it outlines in here that there are people who could be seen as important and people maybe not so much. And it's based upon the game you're running as to how that would be. But I see both. And mm -hmm. uh, why, why I say this? Because an archbishop and bishop before were sacred. There was an ecclesiarchy rank they achieved. They were expected to help guide priests who needed that. And uh, all paths, right? It was uh, it was not one path focus in the Sabbat before this. They didn't, they didn't need to be that way. They had more options. And so if I were somebody on honorable court and I'm a bishop and someone on the path of Cain and Nottis is having trouble with this pack, I could sit and hear confession because he wanted to offer up a contrition writers for himself in that confession because he feels he's failing his, his pack as he, they're failing to hear the word of Cain or whatever it is. And I would hear him out and I would try to guide him forward as a bishop should and often did back in the day. That was the bastardization of those titles that the Sabbat held near and dear that kind of was the draw of the Sabbat as a whole. That is what it is. What they've become in the modern is that as Gehenna War started, we don't need you to sit at home and grant anybody spirituality because the reason for war, our purpose for here, serves as that backdrop for what it is. So we don't need people who have doubt in their heart or uncertainty in what they're doing. We need the fanatics. We need those who are going to step forward in that union of a pack that is devoted majority to one priest. And that priest is guiding them to success. And that's what they're saying here. However, to back up what you're talking about, there are notable bishops and archbishops, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them, Lacita de Aragon, right? Path of Night, she's beholden to it. Uh, Madrid is a Camarilla court, or rather, as they say, a contested domain that might as well be Camarilla on a point. Um, but for the simple fact that Lucita's there, right? And allegedly she has a pack that is said to be a hundred strong that comes out of that book. I find it very interesting. This, why it's interesting is because it's complicated, right? When you think of Lucida and how they put her in the novels versus, you know, the canon reveals and Children of the Night and how they've used her back and forth, it's kind of interesting how they're saying she's turned out here or where she is now. Even from Beckett's Shahad Diary to where it is now, it's different. What'd you think about it? I feel like... Uh... I feel like at that point when she she figured that she wasn't going to get that title, she just folded back in. And if this is all she could hold on to, she did. And you're right, because it makes it odd that she's 100 pack strong. So what type? And I guess it's it's a story lead, right? What did she do to have everyone fold in and say, I'm I'm gang Lucida? And whether or not she's holding it. And I think one of the other things that's kind of mentioned here is there's a, a mention that some people say she may or may not have met final death. But if that's the case, how is her pack still going? So is right. she real? Is she a myth? But the fact that her name means that much, I guess they're going the martyr route and it means names have power, right? So that's kind of and the way I'm taking it. What it means is we can't take this as canon. Right. We can't take this at carte blanche. Lucida disappearing with the Sabbat. But first off, think about all the writing Lucida's been in. It would be moronic that she suddenly became some monster of the night that doesn't care about mortals and is running off chasing into the Luvians. I mean, her big plot arc was destroying her monster of a sire, who was a monster. Mm -hmm. She was the rival to Tally the Hound, who is a problem. Right, Tally, who betrayed and went Camarilla. Now she's in the wind and floating around, and she did not like the Amici Noctis. 
by any stretch of the imagination. Or freaking Sire was a the plenipotentiary or whatever that he uh, the titles that he had laid at his feet by the Lasamba were many and immense. And when that monster stumbled, fell, and killed at the hands of Fatima and herself, uh, they were lovers, right? When they did it, that's as the novel wrote it up. That's interesting, and that brings into the four. Okay, did they just outright ignore that arc? And Lucida was just whatever. But if you look at Beckett's Shahad diary, not at all. It seems very much that's true. She did kill him because her next step was that the Michinaktis put her in charge of Madrid. They said, you killed him and we'll have you killed unless. They didn't want to get rid of an asset. Somebody who's that strong that could get outdo their sire. It's a very Lasombra thing to say, keep him around. Right? They've proven their worth. Can we manipulate you to effect, though? And here you go, we're going to put you in Madrid. And to me, it's the next phase for her to disappear. But if you're the Sabat, you've taken far too many blows at this point. You're in the middle of going to war. Lucida's name is a household name that should engender the young to galvanizing forward because of what she do. She killed her sire. What's the, what's the Sabat trying to do? To kill the founders. So she, in her way, proved it can be done. So she's an idea. She's iconic. You can't just mm-hmm. shove her to the side. But what you can do is apparently craft a clever lie, or at least a clever rumor that anyone's going to have to go searching to find out one way or the other. And I think it's beautifully written they did that. Because it shuts up those people saying, hey man, canon, remember the BJD and all that other stuff. It has to count for something. And also answers those people going, I don't really like the character, but where's the interest? Oh, that is interesting. Why would they do that? You know, and then even then, you got the third people. So we're just getting into this. We don't care. It's a person who's notable in here and they have 100 people in a pack. Sounds great. Salt to taste. I like those options. Keep them coming. Right. Uh, so, but you do know Cicatrix, so please take it over from there. We'll talk about the Bishop of Tijuana at the very least. Uh, the Bishop, especially, well, as we get into Mexico City, trying to figure out what's happening over in Mexico itself. This guy is, he reminds me of a, of a warlord that isn't stopping. And he's got a purpose to him as well. As the war has kind of started to move away as a member of the Path of Cain, he's actually taking matters into his own hand by digging up artifacts that have been there long before. And we know that people have existed, especially the Harbingers, and we have a couple of other noteworthy characters um, that do have some artifacts buried in there. And he's taking upon himself to do so because he's garnering the power that he needs uh, to continue his war forward. Hmm. With the path they've chosen for him, I mean, and he's on, how do you see that going? Like, if I were old school follower of uh, Path of Cain, how would I see this change, really, for this character? I mean, what do you think about the change of the character? You don't, but I think you don't because he's obviously following what he's supposed to as an old school member of the Path of Cain. But the only thing that kind of strikes out the most is this is not a person you also deal with in terms of monomacy. Like, his image is awesome. It's literally him wearing his coat and a sword. And he's doing exactly that. You're either with us, against us. If I have more power than you, I'm going to go ahead and exemplify it over you by defeating you. Um, And he's just being the alpha predator. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like I'm sitting here and I think about this over and over repeatedly. Cicatrix was someone who... I won't say galvanized Tijuana in in a lot of ways, but like why it was there, it was sort of a a good flavor. Uh, Because the name speaks a lot, right? I'm breaking it down. At least it did for Always Our Troop. You would have that name and throw it out and it felt more authentic. And it still is. It's just trying to figure it out, though. With him not being the... Let's face it. People feel that that notice when you hear that term. Are these people sifting through the ruins and 
discovering what happened in ancient Nod, right? It kind of applied in the name and the terminology. And that's what Pathokane was on one part of it. The other half that folks forgot about or didn't like to look at is that there's almost two factions that are within that Pathokane because of that. Those who go to war and all, it's all about, you know, lowering one's gen and blah, 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 becoming ultimate vampire. And those who wanted to know how the first vampires actually behaved, right? Wanting to know your roots and your origins. And when you put them both together, you kind of expected to see a well-rounded entity. But what we're seeing here is that the path of Cain has become something else. And here we have it to understand it's a product of youth that drive that home, right? And uh, that's that's what the Sabbat and V5 are. In fact, a lot of things in V5 have driven that home. That when the wheel has turned, you're watching the youth coming in, that new blood changes by majority the face of what they once were. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's it's hard, right? It's like you read and go, okay, I guess things are different for them. And it is, I guess. It's just uh, they're now codifying what that is. So we have an idea moving forward of what that's about because it's inherent to the title. Regardless, though, uh, moving on, though, we got the importance of the pack priest after you do with cicatrits here. And uh, oh, that's what I didn't want to I didn't want to miss on. One of the coolest digs they had about cicatrits was the monomacy duels. Okay. Right, it's renowned. It's renowned in there that you know that's what they've become. That they believe in culling the weak so hardcore that in Tijuana, on that domain, um, there's like an officer school for basically dueling, <laughs> where people are uh, you graduate there a badass is what the, is what the assumption is that you'll go there and if you could survive there, you coming out, you're a stronger soldier uh, to move forward and lead. And I'd probably like a more than a soldier right some position you're going to be having leaving there from under his tutelage because only the strong march forward from there which make that make, makes that a very i don't know kind of more horrific sabbat than the past before in the sabbat it almost felt like uh you really felt that you could be a vampire's vampire but there was a learning curve Meaning that it was okay that you didn't know everything because we're bringing you in. And as we slowly chisel away who you are, you'll have time to catch up. Or this feels like we're a cult, buddy. That's what we are from the jump. And if you can't digest and stomach what you are now, then we're going to kill you and throw you to the wayside. Because they need to. They need you to face down the horrors of what you're becoming and what you now are. To quickly be of use to them because the war is now. We don't have time to sit around and wait for it. You know? And uh, that's the... That's the effect I think stuff like the officer school and maybe a hundred to a pack by the rumored uh, Lucida size. That's all. That's all relevant. And what keeps him in line is a pack priest. But how has the pack priest changed? The pack priest has changed in the fact that it pretty much takes over. It removes the need for a ductus. We've had a small conversation about it in a previous episode in which the ductus was the de facto quote unquote leader. Really, he wasn't, or she in this case, um, but. The pack priest is the, the heart and soul of everything, and especially with all packs now being realigned to walk along specific paths and are encouraged to do so, that spirituality is everything necessary. Why? Because you need to rein in the beast. Uh, what you want are soldiers. What you don't want are ravening monsters. Um, and that's, you can't send anyone to battle that way unless, I mean, that's what you want to do. But that's not what the Sabbat want, right? They want to make sure that you have hardened soldiers with purpose behind them. The chaplain, for lack of a better term if you're thinking about it going into war. I like that, but I'm going to remove the humanity out your voice because this is... I'm going to read to you what they have in here and tell me if they don't want a monster. Right? They don't want a white. That's accurate. But a monster? Okay. I think that's exactly what they're building, right? 
It says the Black nope. Hand has philosophical reasons for doing what it does and methods for dealing with the curse of Cain guided by devotion to the paths of enlightenment. Foremost is realizing, foremost in realizing this charge is the pack priest, i.e. what they're saying here is that uh, they want these priests to drive them towards the path of enlightenment. And as we said before in previous, on those paths of enlightenment we talked about them, the whole point is to remove you from your humanity. If you don't have hum- if you don't have a conscience, DJ, what are you? I mean, you're not wrong in saying I'd be a monster, right? And that's why I say that. But it's a very easy distinction for for us as humans. We can't imagine not having a conscience, right? We know the right and wrong, but it's not about knowing what right and wrong is. It's about not having any feeling at all. That means no awkwardness, no hesitation, no uh, feelings Guilt. of doubt, right? Guilt. None of that comes in. It's hard. We're hardwired every step of our society to have guilt for something. Introspection before we were told to look before you leap, all that stuff. But if you remove conscience from it, well, they got people you can look at for that. And it's, not an, un, it's an uncomfortable truth. There are many uh, murderers, serial killers, etc., criminals who don't have a conscience. They operate without one, so it seems. And their moral compass is alien, foreign to people to understand and get. I mean, there's whole whole sections of law dedicated, like the FBI is one to look at when you look at uh, profiling, and you don't have to look that up to enjoy it, or by enjoy, I do mean that, to, what's that show, Crim- not Criminal Minds, although that is a popular one, it's really kind of cheesy when they do it, what's that one they had on HBO? You remember that? They said they sat down and it was the FBI budding to figure out why they needed a criminal behavior unit? Oh, I don't know that one. You forgetting it? Mindhunter. That's what it is. Right. Mindhunter. You haven't seen Mindhunter? No, I've heard of it. I just haven't. Actually, no. You know what? You're right. I know it existed. I think it was on Netflix, though. Yeah, you're probably right. It feels like an HBO show. Um, Whatever it is, check out Mindhunter, and you kind of get that. And and dealing with it off the bat, they have a guy. Well, I won't ruin the show for you, but when you start seeing who they're calling up and going to interview, um, listen to... Well, you'll hear it. You'll hear why they felt they needed to figure out the mind of a criminal before they become an issue to see if they could predict behavior and things like that. And why I say watch that show? Because you could enjoy that show without having to do a big time study and come back and think about why they would need a peck priest. Because if you're a peck priest, your job is to teach people how to operate sans that conscience. You don't want a serial killer. You don't want to make a Ted Bundy. Your goal is not to make someone who's going to kill for their own selfish needs. You don't want them to go out there and do what they want to do without conscience to fulfill what they desire. You want them to dance to the tune you give them. You want them to learn your music. You want them to play your music. And you want them to find their role within your your concert. That's what it is. And the the maestro of this is the priest to the pack. They have to teach them by the numbers. But you cannot teach an adult anything. You may have heard me say that before, but it is a truth. Any professor anywhere can tell you, folks who come and sit down with you that are adults are one of the hardest things to teach because they come to you with a full cup. And they have to learn to empty what they believe they know and understand and be open-minded to what you're trying to give them to understand. And most people think when you go to learn something, you just memorize it and move on. That rote will get you through. Any teacher is gonna tell you that's not learning. You have to get what you, you want to learn your, your terms out of the book and how things work, but you got to know when to apply them, when to know they're wrong to apply. 
That's why there's business ethics courses and stuff like that. They're trying to get you to realize all that. Now, it's kind of wordy for one segment, but this is because the Pack Priest is a huge thing for V5 for the Sabbat. In fact, I would argue that it is the only position uh, to look at in V5 of being any relevance or importance for an ST to understand. So I have a question, Bob, right? Because, you know, taking that in analogies, because people like analogies and good to relate to certain movies, would you feel that Hannibal Lecter could have been a Pack Priest where he's watching other would be his attempt to do something because without his guidance and his ability to seduce, you know, by way of showing you what it really means to walk a specific way versus those that failed, right? Or even like in Red Dragon, when he's taking a look at that serial killer versus himself, that's the true difference between someone who's walking a path versus someone who's just attempting to emulate and or shed a humanity or go their own particular way. Do you think there's any type of analogy or analog that falls with it? Yeah, I think if you go back and watch those films, I think when you watch Silence of the Lambs <clears throat> with Clarice Starling and you have a uh... Anthony Hopkins playing Lecter, and I do mean it has to be Hopkins playing Lecter, not the one before. Um, Hopkins does an amazing job of showing you that he is somebody who does not have, he has a moral compass. Like first, don't, no, don't mistake it. He's unique to that. But having guilt is not one of them. That gets in the way. His intellect can handle guilt. To him, he's so analytical that the aspect of having guilt is a, a lower man's thinking. If you've, you think through your actions, and if you're going to have guilt for it, you don't do them. It's that simple. Because your psyche can't handle it. However, what he does have is an impeccable code of ethics that it's impossible for everyone to dance. And that's where we get into his ability to kill those who are rude. Who he classifies are rude or piggish. People who are brutal and not worth being here breathing the same air he does. Now, when you take that into consideration... You want to analyze his patience and what he does often, at least in that show, when they refer to him instead of, uh, I believe in Silence of the Lambs, that was the uh, the guy who was skinning people, right? Um, the Buffalo right. Bill. Buffalo Bill. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, is who it is. Refer to him as a damaged person, right? He didn't even refer to him as somebody that could be healed or dealt with. He, he almost sighed when he talked about him. Like he knew who it was and he, he knew this for a bit was just kind of irritated or annoyed. And maybe that's not quite the term, but like it was a wrapped up thing. It wasn't about Buffalo Bill. It was about Clarice Starling. She came to him broken and he felt she's a good person. He wanted to heal her because that's the doctor he is. And in the course of his manipulations, that's become something else, right? That's how I always see that in a film when I see it. But Red Dragon that she mentioned, I feel is when it shifted, it was a different lector. This is when he's dealing with a bit of revenge to him. Right in that regard, and this time when you see the the tooth fairy, uh, the guy who's trying to make an apotheosis and become a dragon, I think right. that very much relates to the concepts of paths of enlightenment. And Lecter would help this guy and did, if you remember that part where he gives him a message in a newspaper, and that right. guy takes it to like ramp up what he's doing because he's just missing the mark, isn't quite there. You begin to understand the importance of a priest. Now, where that makes it sensational. And definitely, no one who wrote this book or attached this material at all that we're talking about today is at all trying to say, be like that movie. But to get the gist, to get that feel that you're being a priest guiding, you almost have to be invisibly guiding. You have to be that force that a good priest listens. A good priest guides you after understanding how you think and how you see the world. Through understanding how you see the world, they point you in directions that help you digest the world as they believe you need to. So in this case, let's look at it as uh, 
Some in the path of Cain, in the V5's path of Cain, violent as it is, they have issues with the Archbishop, but they have a vinculum with them. And they, they don't see why this Archbishop has to remain around. They're in the city, but they screwed up and got a friend of his killed, and that person was in their pact, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And whatever the issue is, they're trying to reconcile how they feel because that's the bot and they are who they are. But the elector would come along and ask this person something completely different to flip the script, but say something like, have you ever wondered uh, why is it that whenever you have a mistake, you do a mistake, people can come down on you, but you're expected to just accept that abuse. And it is abuse. When you make a mistake and someone comes along and steps on your neck, they're not helping you. You're already beating yourself up worse than that person can, especially if they could see you did something wrong. So them coming over and saying anything to you is only making them feel better to bring it up to you that you did something wrong if you're showing remorse for it. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I would think it's unfair entirely if someone else does something bad and nothing happens to them in recompense and they don't show any remorse. So if I were you, I would take that into consideration and, and, and wonder what your next step should be. Now, if I step back as that pack priest, I just arm that Path of Cain adherent to go and kill that Archbishop to be the vengeance. Because on Path of Cain, if you're weak in leadership and you've messed up, you were devoured and somebody stronger takes your spot to move forward because you're a waste of the blood in your veins at that. And that might be a poor analogy, but I'm trying to stress that home that the manipulations of the priest are everything to the Sabbat to hold that cult together. Because whether you have three people or you have a hundred people, this is why they're saying it's a single path that they're typically doing now. Because if I have a bunch of people on path tonight, well, we all know what we're doing here to this domain then, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a thing. It's a way to see it. But it's a lot of talk on priests. There are there are other <coughs> things to get to. Um, first and foremost, they, they do have notable priests, but trust me, read them there. A lot of them are going to be new to people, some you haven't heard of before. They have very interesting goals in what they do, but great examples nonetheless, and also great costumes, I might add. Um, the concept of true sabbat, this is a title. Now, it's not a title that someone's going to officiate lay at your feet, but... I never hear this talked about. If you're not Sabbat and you're just a shovelhead running around doing something or whatever, just because you know where the communal haven is and you sleep there, doesn't make you true Sabbat. True Sabbat is something that you're honored with after you survive an enemy of the sect, after people see you serving the Sabbat, fighting on the front lines, doing whatever it is that you have to do to prove that you're with them, that you're in the camp. And then your pack's gonna do some sort of ritus or initiation to bring you in. They're not going to just sit there and, and rub your back and say, hey, it's pretty cool. Glad you're around. Hey, thanks for bringing in that new water cooler. That's not proving Jack. However, if you were the guy who jumped and downed the, the sheriff, dragged him back and went to Diablum, but they stopped you because they said that privilege belongs to True Sabbat only, and that's not you, but you can go get the car. But you ate it. You took that chastisement and removal of privilege and went to get the car, but later on in your ceremony... They told you you have to have someone to prove yourself and you're pissed because you had someone. But then you turn around, that very someone's sitting in front of you, but they all want to watch you go through it. They want to see you do it. They want a brother or sister to rise from the ashes of what they do, right? They want to see the diabri, the ashes there, and who knows, maybe they want to coat you in it. They want, But the point is, they want to bring you in and honor you to make you feel that you're elevated over everyone that is not Sabbat. That is the point of true Sabbat. 
and the phrase, if you're not now, you, you never were. I bring this up because it's very much some, I don't know, to me, it's some uh, fraternity stuff, right? If you're, if you're not part of the fraternity, then you're nobody. And then, you know, oh man, I want to be somebody. I would love to rush. I want to belong. It instills that feeling of, of belonging that you want to have if you are in the camp. Now, why they do this, we're going to make that simple too. Remember the Sabbat believes that they're the apex predator above everyone and humans are only their food. Mm-hmm. And everyone else who's trying to be human are weak. And they're still food. So if you're going to act like a human being, that just means you should be fed on. There's no, there's no middle ground. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but that's that's where they're at. And they breed that into you from the jump. You are brought into the Sabbat with that belief. And being true Sabbat is your first goal of being brought into the Sabbat. So I have a question for you here, right? Because this is something that, and especially when we have newer players or old school players reading this, we say to ourselves, but if you're true Sabbat, why wouldn't you go to war? Right? Does that mean, or could you posit to say, we have Sabbat members who just weren't true at all, and they were just card-carrying members because they joined up to the ARP, of which you don't have to be old to join, apparently. Or was it they thought themselves true Sabbat up until they saw what it really meant, and now true Sabbat as it stands now in B5 has a different weight to it. How would you view that? I view that like we're walking around saying how Cobra Kai is the baddest-ass martial arts school ever walking <laughs> in all of California, right? They're badasses. They're taking on everybody. They're dropping them left and right. Nobody can beat them. Karate is the only way. And, you know, hee-haw, martial arts is badass. And someone hears that Mike Tyson's son opened up a boxing school, and he's teaching people for health only how to box. I'm not making him Ralph Macchio, but I'm saying Cobra Kai hears the important part. Oh, this Tyson's kid will accept a challenge from anybody? That's what he said? Well, why would he say that? Oh, well, Tyson's his dad, and he feels that he'll accept it in good jest to have a test of skill, right? Well, what Karate hears, at least for Cobra Kai, is, oh, man, we're going to put that to the test. Why? Because we're awesome. Yeah, we're awesome. And everyone hears that they keep saying for years that they were undefeated in karate is the strongest ever. And someone went, well, there's that Tyson challenge that's down the road. And after all, it's only Tyson's kid, right? Well, I equate that to being the Sabat before is Cobra Kai. They're walking around saying how badass they are. They could tear down elders and eat them. They could defeat anybody, right? We can, we are the original Anarch badasses that made Anarchs worth being Anarchs, but we became our own thing and left you with those weak crybaby, whatever. That's We don't know what those Anarchs are because we're over here now. Sabat are awesome. Okay. Well, the Antediluvians are around, and the Antediluvians here would be basically like Mike Tyson's school, in my opinion. Like, you knew it was over there. They come with their own prestige. There's a level of fear. Because even if they're not really antediluvians or whatever they are that are over there, well, they're over there now. You have to take that challenge, don't you? You've said for centuries that they're the enemy. And when they finally reveal themselves, you have to you have to show up. You have to take the fight. And if you don't take the fight, what does it mean? Well, here you are. And, you know, you, when it was easy... When you had veterans watching your back, think about it. Here you are, let's just say you're part of that that war that takes over New York, right? And you're running behind Polonia. Polonia the madman, the Lysambra who put people in check when he decided to take over New York. He came with a pack and there was a black hand pack and we're not referring to the Sabata V5. Black hand back in the day were some serious militaristic, quiet skullduggery, cloak and dagger group, vampire killer killers. 
and they were sitting back watching Polony to see what he was doing to make sure that he wasn't in New York for himself, that he held to the crusade. What they found was Polonia was hardcore Sabat, that he was there and the Camarilla stepped up and surprise Archon's ambush that Giovanni betrayed the Sabat. And Polonio said, betrayal, is it? And drew his saber and started leaving ashes in his wake. By description, it was badass. He's killing everybody left and right. So hardcore, this black hand pack waged war with him. We're motivated by a sense of honor to go from watching him to we cannot let him fall. And they jumped in and they had to stake him to remove him from the battlefield. And a lot of people say it's at the cusp of when he saw where the Archon headquarters was. He fought through the ambush and said, you came to ambush me, Alessandra? Don't you know what my blood means? And he went to them and he was going to tear them apart. And the black hand went, nope, stake. We definitely can use you later on. Seems you've proven yourself. Now, when you have someone like that on the battlefield and allegedly you have a, a very famous Sabat member who joined that fray with him, was, was inspired to enter that fray with Polonia and wreak havoc with him. And we're talking about Lombok Ruthven, a guy who was heralded a coward in a lot of ways before that, you know, be a good lad and all that. He laid waste with Polonia and the black hand had to step in and remove them both, right? Allegedly. We'll leave that where it is because a lot of that's writing, creative and blah, blah, blah. Cool novels, books and stories and snippets everywhere about it. The cool thing is though, answering your question, well, here I am. We're Bob and DJ, the Sabat guys who, you know, we got shovel-headed, mass-embraced, and told to kill some ghouls. And, like, we had to kill them, but we had some cool vampire powers, and we did it. And the Sabat pack with us, like, yeah, good job. High five, man. Hey, you know, you could have been blood brothers. You could have been those losers over there, but you're not. So at least you got your individuality. Hey, report back to the van. We got to take you to go, like, eat your parents or something. I don't know who you value close to. It's an interesting process. Don't go anywhere. We're like, oh, that sucks, but it's either that or death, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, it is. I mean, you're different now. Oh, okay. It's kind of a different group. It's like they were hazing you. They brought you in, kill these people. It sucks you killed them. Yeah, your humanity's dwindled a bit, but you get to sit while the real war is being fought over here. Well, that's great. We get called true Sabat because we participated and wiped out some guard ghoul or whatever it was. Some dude in a shack who had no idea, and it sucked for us, but here we are now. Here we go, 50 years, we've been Sabat kicking rocks, and yeah, things got a little more rough. But we're a coven, and basically we defend territory and go and drop anarchs when they get too mouthy. Well, that's well and good and all, but we hear all these rumors and hype about how there's these ancients that you gotta fight somewhere, and apparently, and you know, we're just hoping not to roll the dice and get an archon. We're told those guys really suck to fight and they're badass. Well, out of nowhere, here comes the truth. Everyone feels this beckoning, this strange pull, and elders are up and out. They're calling it the religious call they've been waiting for. They feel it in the blood and they're going to answer. And you have some that are going, no, we're going to kill whoever this is. This is the exact manipulation we've been fighting for. And when you consider the angle, a lot of these elders were sitting around in ennui in a hollowed existence, questioning whether or not their purpose was sound. Well, the beckoning was a manipulation that everyone felt. And they said, no, it's sound. Absolutely, there are ancients trying to manipulate and pull us. They're calling because they might need help. Well, we're coming not to give them the help they know. We're not there to give them the help they want. We're here to give them the help they need. And sharpening <laughs> stakes and bringing an army, right? That's what it's figuring out. Right. And that's the difference. But if you're Bob and DJ, the Sabat from that New York fight, you go, hey, man, Polonia, you got him, right? You got Lombok or Rupert Lombok. And you got the Angel of Cain guy, too. And like, was you don't need us. 
We're totally cool. We're gonna sit in the arcade. Don't worry about it. You know that penthouse coven archbishop swank place you got up here? I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna vacuum it twice. It's gonna be golden. We're not even raising the shutters. I mean, just bringing by some strippers. So I'm gonna eat from a little bit of blood. No big deal. Uh, we'll talk to you later, though. Deuce. Have fun. Now, why do they do that? Because uh, ultimately, Bob and Deej the vampires want to stay immortal. Do you? I mean, that—that's the gravity that I think this whole situation is overlooked. Right. Is when, is when you think of the concept that to be true Sabat in V five is a heavier burden than it is back in the day. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel about that title now and why it's literally the stopgap of what it means to be true Sabat versus not. Because your players might just be like, well, what does it take to be Sabat at this moment in time? And I think it ha that hammers it home that even the base level Sabat is all in. That's how it is. Um, to rifle real quick, um, the Cardinal title has fallen and so has the, uh, the Ductus title. Um, do you think that hurts it? Or do you think that's something that makes perfect sense to you? It makes perfect sense. Um, most of those Cardinals anyway, just they hightailed out. It was the political game for them, for a huge portion of them. So they were like, nope, not for us. They're out. It doesn't It doesn't have a place anymore. And Ductus, as we mentioned before, um, it, you know, and I think this is, this is one of those things that I think was the most logical conclusion. And we've seen it in play and it, it generated very amounts of fun and strife within a pack. But when you really take a look at it, that Ductus wasn't doing anything when standing next to a priest. And, and bringing up that point, we're just going to slam this home and then like kind of shift this in the gear. Um, just real quick, Paladin or Templar is now an honorific title. There's no need for them because everybody's a bad. And I'm not saying everybody's a badass in the field, but if you are as bad as your title says you are, you're going to prove that in the field well enough. And it's become one of those things where I'd say I'm, you know, I'm I'm Paladin Bob, you know, from from I don't know from whatever region I killed someone in. Right, to prove that I was and people can back it up. Why well, call myself pouting? So I want to say how hardcore I am and dedicated to the task, and that's part of it. That's what it's become. It's no longer an assignment of duties and hey, don't mess with that guy because of what he does. And that's rather interesting, right? It's a switch because of the necessity. Uh, the Pris guy are basically a little finger. You know, we're back to making a distinction, one we often make because it's a super hot series, but you get the term. When we refer to Game of Thrones, you refer to a master of shadows or thieves. That's what Prisci have become. They're basically the primary source of information and intelligence that the sect gathers and relies on them uh, to utilize the hatred they have toward the servants of the antediluvians to outmanipulate the manipulators and, and to lay work for to get to Sabat what they need as they need it. And that requires, you know, juking your enemies and trapping them and all that other stuff, using tactics they would use. And uh, they leave that to the Prisci. Um, but you're wondering, well, what about the actual black hand and where'd that shift go? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't really seen anything at all that explains why the, the military black hand, the black hand as you know it, dissolved. Now, what I'm going to state here is I have my theory here that it's a duh. It's a duh moment. And um, before I get to that moment, though, why I think that, DJ, do you, did you read anything at all? Did I miss something? Because I didn't see anything. That said, where what happened to this crescent moon cult within the cult uh, that we were so used to having? No, you didn't miss anything at all. And if anything at all, I think it's just implied. Uh, why? Because two things. If you take a look at it from an old school sense, you already knew how hardcore they were. So that already meant they should be at war. And either they made it out or they're still at war or they just didn't make it out at all. Or you're new to the game. But then it doesn't add anything to it because we already know we're going to war as it is. Now they're introducing the term black hand 
as to what it should be in an overall arching way. And so the old Manus Nigram here is a is a dream. Like I mean, the uh, the true hand as it was known back in the day was kind of a well, it was there. We'll leave it at that. And a phase out kind of happened too. You saw it in the books. A lot of people felt that it could be fun, maybe, but do it on your own time. Different era, different situation. They give tons of reasons to update the material and why that group, right, just didn't make the cut. Then you had just the black hand of a militaristic of a killer of killers. But if you remember the Asmon Anti Tribute, real quick, the Asmon Anti Tribute are the Unconquered. So the Convention of Thorns, i.e., when they, they were bringing in. You're not going to take us. We're not going to belong. We're the Anarchs that refuse to go with you. Fine. Then you're now the Sabbat, right? It's what you become. And real quick, the Sabbat earned their name because during that war, when they were leaving, they used to have these Esbots, these meetings. And in fact, they were kind of called Esbots they would have when they met up as Anarchs. And they were wild forays in the woods. And the mortal witnesses who survived uh, those encounters of seeing them um, called them witches and devils. And so when they left the Convention of Thorns, they tried to rip apart the masquerade to make it hard, to drive the Inquisition to the doors of their enemies as they were leaving, knowing they were fleeing because there weren't that many of them. And then the chaos and confusion, it kind of worked. But the mortals more or less gave, dubbed them the Sabbat, right? That's sort of how they get that name because of the witches and devils and Esbat reference. Now, simple as that may be, let's also look at the fact that um, the Asmite did tribute step in the fray because the Asmite clan was brought to heal, right? They were running around with the Anarchs, killing with impunity and not apologizing. And it's assumed that all the clans got together to tell clan, you know, tell Alamon, hey, we found out where you are. Bend a knee now, submit to this Tremere curse or you're screwed. And that's, you know, the Treaty of Tear thing and all that other stuff. All that, all those things come into play. We know that. Look it up. Read about it if you want to know more. But the basis point I'm hammering in is that that didn't last forever. Right When the cursors were moved, it was like game on at Alamut, right? And they told you this pressure cooker was building. Then you have the schismatics coming in and saying, we don't agree with Shug Knight. Old Shulgi woke up, and he's a terrible Methuselah, fanatically loyal to Hakim. You know, the war god was something you don't understand. And he was not this nice guy that a lot of people wanted to make Hakim seem. That he was this balanced warrior judge guy. According to Shulgi, you were either on the path of blood or you're nothing. And so that rift happened. Well, if you look, ever since that curse was submitted to, there was always a group of people who didn't get updated that never did fall under the curse. Now, one of them is near and dear to my heart, right? He's Tariq the Silent. I don't need to go into that again. I did that in the podcast before in Gush, but he's a badass is badass. And I think it's awesome no one said what happened to him. In my heart, he's still killing the name of Hakeem. Um, for, the, for the rest of them, uh, though, when they were in, they had a choice. We don't have a sect to back us, and we're not going to stand as cowards, but we're not fools. We have to back someone. And when I looked at the Sabbat, seeing what the Sabbat had, they're just going to be these young kids running around trying to fight daddy with no concept, no concept of how to wage that war. But they do have a ritual to you know, divorce themselves of the blood bond. We can show them a thing or two. And we could bring order to what they have because they have a disciplined, orderly way. And so they did that for them and they became the Black Hand. And throughout the Sabbat's history, the Black Hand have been the ones to bring order out of chaos for that sect. We're instrumental in keeping them there. However, BJD outlines how the Black Hand betrayed itself. Now, how is that? Your founders, the Asmanti Tribute, leave. They just disappear one night and go back to Alamut. The call of the day. Azim Erbal is the name to look up. And we've talked about that, cat. 
and he's as evil as they come. And he just played his flute and danced on back to Alamut and took the Asimites with him, leaving them the path of Cain. Now I've talked about this before, they're preaching the path of Cain to people, teaching the runaround and Diablerize folks, and that's the way to go about it. Not really giving them the precepts of the path of blood to outline why, that you're judging people. That's what they do in the name of Hakim, and only the worthy, only the Rafiq from Alamut are able to do that, to be judges. The rest of you, yeah, it's cute, kid. You want to be like us, and we'll show you how we move and operate, but you'll never know what that means. Here's the path of Cain to keep you sewaged. Now, to prove that, look at the Sabbat in V5 now. This is why you are not following the path of blood. And when you don't, you're just a mindless soldier running around and ripping down people claiming you're strong because you can kill someone and claiming it's in the name of Nadaslor. And you want to be like an elder, that's what it is. You can see that these guys are going to produce whites left and right even if they succeed, if they don't, you know, find a way about it. And that's not to say everyone on Pathakane does that. But the vast majority, and particularly the youth, do. And they outline that clearly, that that's what they do and they have going on. That's why the Path of Cain has a feel of being assassiny. And it's not it's not supposed to, though. Meaning, it once upon a time is about not a slower more so than it was about diabolizing your way up the chain. Times have changed and the guidance is no longer there. The discipline is removed. It's a lot to say. That's what occurred. Why that's important to point out is just another way for you to see how the Sabbat kind of, well, there are elements removed from them that made them who they once were that no longer there. This is the face of what they become. Fair? To add to it, there's a section specifically speaking about Antitribu, and we touched upon it very lightly in our previous podcast, but this is one of those situations that you, the reader, if you're fortunate enough to capture the glimpse of it, you could see the cheekiness of how it's written where they speak about removing the individuality and remembering that by being anti-tribute, we all belong, so we move our clans. That's one of the biggest hypocrisies that exist. The Path of Cain is one of the biggest hypocrisies that also exists because you're drinking the Kool-Aid and you as the player are like, oh man, this tastes great, this is awesome. But when you read it as the reader and you start recognizing it, sure, let's go ahead and say that we diabolize our way up and down, right? Are you still not gonna exhibit some of those curses? Right? Is your clan bane not going to grow? So at one point, no matter how much you try to hide it, it's still going to show at one point, right? And this is all yep. part of the brainwashing. And that's the, the funny part about it, because you might take a look at the book and go like, well, what was the whole point of doing it? Don't we still have to? You do, but we want to point out that it's cleverly written so that you understand that the Sabbat itself is a farce and hypocrisy, much the exact same way the Camarilla sells you its own stories. It's not perfect. It's, it's a group of misguided fanatics. And I think that's what makes it cheeky. And especially as you were mentioning, that path of Cain meant something to someone, but that's only because the Asimites sold it to you because they just needed a place to stay. Now that it's not there, well, what are we going to do about it? We could kind of patch it together. All right. This is what we it's, got now. It's, it's what happened, and it's a good feint if you're trying to survive, right? Uh, when you play for keeps, is what you do. Now, they came up with a bunch of other titles for us, the reader, to understand. It was always missing. In, in the Sabbat material, you always felt that you really only had ductus or priests to go at in a pack, and that was it. Wasn't really anything else. And uh, they changed that. Now, they say these a lot of these are honorifics, right? In pack patterns, there's ideas of uh, different roles shifting all the time. Uh, but it's a wise priest who fills his ranks. And they have positions of warriors and scouts and um, mentioned liaisons, and that's people who can talk to other people outside of your roving death cult. Um, you have your... Uh, 
your cleaners, and that's an obvious, another duh, right? It's Mr. Wolf if you're a fan of Pulp Fiction, or it's just someone who comes by and gets the shit detail to clean up after uh, your packs wreaked havoc. And that's misdirecting the evidence or pointing it at the enemy. You gotta be good at either one, and it's considered the lowest ranking job. Um, you have scholars for that obvious reason. They gotta do research and, well, all the stuff that you don't expect others to do. People who like, you know, sifting through the Nottis lore or an elder's library to find out other secrets and other points to go at to strengthen what you're doing. That's gonna be those guys who, who get that position. Um, procurers are just what you think. People who are there to get drugs, money, weapons, all that jazz. Um, they're, that's the mortal half of contraband that they have going on. But goods uh, just as likely might need to breathe as a, you know, go on shelves, as they say. And uh, that's, it just depends on what it is. And the procurers would be the one for that. They also give little story ideas of how to include these in your chronicle. Remember, this is written, the entirety of the book is written from them as antagonists and storyteller tools and usage. However, it more than has the seeds where if you truly want to play a once a one-tracked mind death cult, medieval death cult, I suppose you can. And if that's what you like doing, uh, knock yourself out. I certainly don't have a problem with doing that myself. And in fact, I know my friends, I may end up doing that one day. Uh, but the fact is, is that I really do agree with them that this is not, this isn't the player version of this book. And uh, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, to that end, let's get to the part that took forever to get here, but we need to know about titles and kind of wrap like we did. The mm. Gehenna War. Now, I feel this is the part that everybody was waiting to hear about and all the things that go into it. Um, what I'll say to get to the point where a DJ will, will tag you in, they give you a brief and dirty history of the Sabbat that you have to understand of how it was formed. And they talk about great betrayals, faints, and all that. And what they are referring to is the youth being used to help the elders survive when the Catholic Church discovers that vampires are real. And they highlight the Albigensian Crusade is a, is a heresy discovered by the Catholic Church where they actually waged a crusade on people who did believe in technically Christianity, but just not in the way that the Catholics wanted. And so they wiped them out. And in the course of going after them to wipe them out, the church, the Vatican and all that stuff figured out that vampires are real. Well, it didn't work for them. So they started hunting them everywhere they saw them. And this is the burning times, right? We know what that is. Well, aspiring elders who didn't have to, there were a lot of elders who were goofy. If you think of the dark ages, there's so many people who foolishly behaved certain ways that overreached, you know. We, we think it's unique to have a warehouse filled with mortals dangling and being kept alive, but in a coma for vampires to come in and callously feed. Um, not really, not if you broaden your mind and think about it. If it was Rome, I have slave pens. Know what I mean? And what are they going to do? All these people are my slaves. I own them. What do you think I did as a Roman venture? Of course I had them. And fed on them with impunity. I did whatever I wanted to. If you want to think that's possible or why that might be, watch Spartacus Blood and Sand for a few episodes and you'll get it. They weren't even treated as people. They were just there. In a lot of ways, right? For whatever they needed. And that's, that's sort of the mindset. But... They go from that faint, right? We're, we're being used as a buffer because during the burning times, they're not going after those elders who are set up and seem to be away from everything, right? We're not talking about the elder as a castle, three days ride away from where the actual prince sets up and where the city is proper. You know, where you're just looked at as the mysterious landowner, wherever you're at, that never has to show up for anything because you pay the most in taxes. They're not looking at that guy at all, you know? Um, but that is where the elder is, isn't it? 
But what they are looking at is the Lord of the castle, so to speak. You know, that child who's sent to town to represent his Lord, who's dealing with all the problems and all the situations, right? So that is the guy who the, you know, the, the Inquisition targets. That's the people who start getting burned and killed. And that's where all the hoopla comes from. Where all the children who are of worth, really they're in Scylla, who are getting pissed that they're a buffer for this destruction that they didn't cause. They're being pitted against hunters and kind of sucks for them. Well, there are elders who end up getting toppled. Now, why do elders get toppled by the Inquisition? Because that's just kind of what happens when you have shithead rival elders who know how to bait and send information that, oh, that he's only three days ride outside. You thought the Lord was bad. No, 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 he worked for somebody who's out here. He does that. I sent my man to tell you, of course he did. And we'll divvy up his assets about a century from now. And uh, everyone's happy. If you can see what I'm saying here, DJ. Um, so what we're talking about is a gigantic betrayal that starts with the Inquisition and the mortals get uppity and they decide they can kill the Lords of the Night. Well, when the Anarchs get into full roar, they said, screw this. If the Elders can be killed by mortals, they certainly can be killed by us and we certainly can oppose them. And were the Ancilla they're using as a buffer? No, we're banding together, we're opposing them. And if we have to fight the mortals, so be it, but we're gonna fight them too. And we're gonna tear our sires out. We're gonna bring them out to face the music just like us. And maybe even diabolize a few of them and strengthen ourselves from it. And we learn how to make the Viniculum, the Valdry and all that fun stuff. And you get the history from there and check it out. All that stuff is here very quickly funneled to you to point out one thing. It's a manipulation. It's a game that the ancients are playing. What they're trying to say is that the whole reason the Sabbat are around is to oppose the puppets who created this scheme because they outline how the Camarilla is the are the ones responsible for using the Inquisition to go after them and use them in such a capacity that they were eliminating the playing field away from Hardestatch's dream, if you will, of doing what he wanted or some such nonsense. Now, they don't directly say that. They give inferences that that might be what a lot of them feel, but you can kind of see it going that way. But if you think about it, it's the only play that makes sense. There is ultimately no reason an antediluvian needs to wake up and suddenly puppet mortals will go after vampires. I mean, let's think about it. If they are these naughty blood gods, they would just wake up and kill said vampire. It wouldn't be a thing. Mm -hmm. Now, if mortals do get wind, like they do with the second Inquisition, that, that's kind of more like they behave, right? The second Inquisition, you can't say any vampires pushing their buttons because we mortals are too smart for that, right? They highlight the danger of mortals nowadays, not even Fatima Al-Fakati can deal with because they're drone strikes. They could watch you from miles overhead. You would never spot them. They could detect what you are using, if you have infrared, heat, or not, what you be. They could start shooting you and smoke you long before you could even think to blink to get out of the way. And you're laid to waste. Mortals don't play nowadays, and it's more and more dangerous. But who's pulling their strings? The answer is nada. No one. And we got to be ultra careful about that. So instead, the second Inquisition becomes a pawn that they use, this is all sex really, whether you're Anarch, Camarilla, or uh, Sabbat, that you point them at those who draw the most attention. And that's the Sabbat right now. They draw the most, right? They, they rein in the most noise and the Sabbat's philosophy is to meet them head on, but the Sabbat is losing. This is what they're pointing out, that war. When the Sabbat is to wage that war in the open, they can't do it for long. Hence why here they even announced that, okay, great. Now that you know the history, now that you know where kind of the gist is, 
You need to understand that, yeah, we do that and we agree it. And only the strong will survive an encounter like that. And they're welcome to join us in the, in the crusade. However, they're quick to point out, hey, do your best to not alert the police. When the police come, we go. We don't want to draw that attention. Why would that be, DJ? Because <laughs> it, well, two parts. I think the, the first part of it is obviously they want to continue with their tactics. Uh, and the second part of it is to be able to, well, not only continue with their tactics, but I think it's just a matter of, it's just practical. It's just practical work to do. However, there are those that say the only thing you can do is to blow this whole thing wide open. And those are the ones you have to watch out for because it's of two minds at that point. Simply yes. Now, what we're going to say here about the Gehenna War in and of itself is understanding its origins is everything understanding what the Sabbat is about. You know, they're about going forward and getting that grand revenge. And, you know, there's sort of a... When you think of the Sabbat's ultimate revenge, it is that we became more, the, and this is speaking as a Sabbat, you know, they became more than just Anarchs. They became a sect that stands in its own to oppose the strings that they see that the Elders are pulling. And I think at the beginning they knew the Elders are referring to were very much those of the Convention of Thorns. These ancients they believe that exist, because at the time, forget their actual name, but uh, you had people like, uh, what is it? Uh, no, I can't remember the princes. Just suddenly. Hardest, not hardest status. Uh, <laughs> the Prince of uh, London. Why can't I think of him? Mithras. Mithras. Prince Mithras. You had people like Mithras who were just uh, on another level. They were the Methuselah you couldn't even fathom the power they could bring to bear or the way they operate. And that's why so much is invested in books about these guys when you get down to it. Or Marcus Vettel, you know, good old Sejanus. Way too powerful on a, just on another level worthy of an entire sect gunning for these guys. But the, to the Sabbat, they took these guys as the ancients they're referring to. Right? Think about it. That's the people they're talking about pulling strings. And if you wind the clock back to the Convention of Thorns, those cats weren't sitting in that room when a decision was made. Mithras and Old Sejanus could give two flying Fs about any vampire in that room. Those kids were playing checkers. They out there playing chess. They ain't concerned with what those cats going on. They also don't oppose one another. Right? You never see that. You never see these ancients, or the descendants of the ancients, their children, getting in the way of the other. Have you noticed that? You're right. You don't. And I think this book does something, uh, especially for me, who's been kind of reading it and taking a look at it. It gives you the clear like delineation between what makes an Anarch an Anarch and what makes a current Sabbat member a current Sabbat member. Because up until that moment, we could always say, well, in V5, we have the Anarchs. And don't they act like Sabbat as we know them in previous editions? Up until it gets to the point where it talks about why paths are also important is these people who were in cults eventually start smelling their own farts, right? Or they kind of go like, well, why is it raining? And it's like the same story that we usually tell people. Humans that may or may not have created gods by going, it's raining. Something above us is causing it to happen. And that religious fervor is where it starts to spark. And as you were mentioning, it's exactly that. At that time, we're talking about elders who were out of touch. But as the story starts to continue and stories being verbal, you start changing from the elders to something stronger, like the, the Antiluvians. And then that's when the story warps and you start getting that fervor going on. It's them, right? Or like when you take a look at angels, you take, right? You take a look at angels. And if you ever took a look at an angel, a biblical angel, those things are 
ugliest sin. Eyeballs, made out of wings all over the place. But then as you start going further down the line, we decided angels are going to look pretty, golden locks, and cherub wings all over the place. <laughs> and that warped reality is exactly what ended up happening to Sabat. Those members ended up drinking that Kool-Aid going like, it's them. It's them. It's them. It's them. And that is why that makes the Sabbat different and why the fanaticism is different now than it was when you take a look at the Anarchs and how they acted in the past. Another thing was, is that you go from the fires of the Second Inquisition, right, from what they're doing or warring in the open, all that fun stuff, that's all well and good, to yeah. a second part of this, right? What starts the Gana War, right? The dawning of it was the beckoning. When the beckoning was felt, you had elders in the Sabbat gone. They were out to answer that call to get them before they could wake up. Now, who are we referring to? Now, this book outlines the ancients, but to many people, many readers, you hear ancients, you make an assumption, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, your, your assumption is the antediluvians are who they're going for. Well, no, it doesn't say that. Of course, the enemy is the antediluvians, but they're after the pawns first. That's why they're warring with the Camarilla in the first place. That's why they're warring with the Anarchs. Now, why war with the Camarilla? It's simple. The Camarilla refused to admit that it was actually a pawn of the ancients until it decided to adopt its own Church of Cain and suddenly Methuselahs were added, you know, to, to songs uplifting, right? To what they had going on. And they're like, well, now they're just blatant about it. Now they're not even trying to hide it. It is what it is, right? Now, why are they doing that? Because the Camarilla felt the beckoning as well, where they're not rushing off to necessarily meet it. Some of their number did to figure out what's going on and then to do that. But why do you think the Ashir stepped in to become friends, buddy-buddy, with the Camarilla? And the answer's simple. The Sabbat, in number, and they describe this, right? It started at, uh, well, a couple places they have marching out. And I think the greatest depiction, two of them. Mexico City, the Anarch viewpoint. We have a real chance, this is the Anarchs, we have a real chance to take over where the hole where the Sabbat left. Right? They left, they took off, great, they're gone. You know how many people are here? Millions. Right? So many vessels, 21 million mortal vessels for us to enjoy and deal with. And they left all these cool domains with all this stuff. Isn't that nice? Isn't it neat? Blah, 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 blah. And then quickly, you have these weird excerpts and letters, how they do in V5, where it describes the Sabbat leaving calling cards. That you truly believe we abandon our sacred place, that we're, that we're nowhere there. Please go ahead and move in. We'll see you when we return. You know, we kept the light on for you. We want you to be here when we get back. Right. Now, I don't know about you. Any group of people that leaves with the sole purpose of, I'm going to go kill your daddy's pappy's pappy's pappy, who originally put you here to do whatever. You know, you. I heard you was a badass, whoever the hell you are, but we went to find out the origin of your badassery. We killed that too. And you're going to be here when we get back? Oh, well, thank you. We wanted to make sure you were all gone. Now, when we come back, we might be nice enough to be, well, maybe you join us now. Because we're the badasses. Yes, no, no, dead, goodbye. And that's it for being nice. And to the Anarchs, well, I didn't need to say this, to the Camarilla, never stop being the toadies to the ancients as far as the Sabbat is concerned. And the Anarchs had a chance. It was a door barely left open since the Anarch revolt where they remembered what the Anarchs tried to become. And to the Sabbat, they said, you join us now, it's all gravy. Trying to recruit you, but we only want the strongest amongst you. And we'll agree that you could be here and that's that and we'll leave it where it is. Be a bit for your true Sabbat. You have to prove yourself, but at least the door is open. Well, now, in V5, that door's closed. Anarchs are on the menu just as well as the Camarilla. Enter the Ashira. Now, what happens is, when they leave Mexico City, and they start, you know, just going across, you can imagine all sorts of port hopping, smuggling, 
any of that minutiae that should come easy to any storyteller or player thinking of the many things that would happen to sift an organization of that size, going from point A to point kill, right? And they're getting there. And yes, they're heading over to Europe. It is a mistake to think that they're heading just to the Middle East, and they point that out. Everyone thinks the pull goes to the Middle East, and maybe the beckoning is pulling people there. But that's some of it. It's not the only thing. Like, the beckoning is assumed at this point to be a solid feeling that grips everyone to come to one spot. However, what if it's not one spot? What if it's different places? And they don't get into detail, but they allude to the fact that there's something pulling the Sabbat to all sorts of places over in Europe. And that place is hammered home when they talk about Russia. They mention, this guy is mentioning a report, and I believe it's another anarch, it is another anarch, who's kind of flipping out that there are people kind of, they spot them coming through the airports and coming through the shipping lanes and whatnot. And originally it's like eight people come through, but they know that they're kind of goofy and a little weird and you know they, they don't fit in, they're new, but they travel together. Then they notice the weird burning symbols they're using, the skull-like ash crap, and, you know, it's all Sabbat flair that come through, but it started as eight, and then another 30 run across the border, and then another person appropriates some vehicle, and any way they can, they're getting to this place. And they originally thought they were fleeing the battlefield, that they were running from a battlefield as they rode it. And they said, well, that was the assumption, but then, it, then they begin to realize that they're all just traveling east. They're going from there heading to somewhere else, and there was somewhere in Russia. And it looked like they were converging on someone. And immediately they said, well, that's not our problem. Our problem is we know how the Sabbat operate. If you saw eight, there's another 30 buried somewhere in a graveyard. Somewhere that just didn't pop out of the ground when it was time to run. And they're going to plan. They're going to wake to try to catch up to that group some point. Do we know where in our, dem- our domain that that is? Do we know what's going on? We're screwed. They're coming in in numbers, man. Look what they're leaving behind. And they kind of describe them like Zerg, is what I was reading. Like something from aliens, right? They're leaving nest eggs and face grabbers and they're corrupting the populace to add to it. And I was like, are we even talking about the same thing anymore? But you are. And that's what makes it scary, right? Because if you're taking a look at it as a horror movie, it's one thing when it's like, I'll put it to you this way. If all your favorite horror villains Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Pinhead all start passing you by. That's scary, <laughs> right? It's yeah. even scarier when they start passing you by because you anticipate they're coming after you, but they're not. So there has to be something scarier at the other end of the tunnel. Where are they going? And that's also another great um, story seed. Where are they going? Is it real? Is it not real? What could be scarier than these bunch of monsters heading off to war? If that's a thing. I'm glad you asked. There is something scarier. Now, you remember that Cult of the Sun we talked about? That new Path of the Sun they came up with? Yep. For Thin Bloods, right? Pretty cool. The Thin Blooded Field, they were mentioning Gehenna is inheriting the Earth, and they're getting real comfortable with the idea. Well, in, in Brazil, they have a war going on. And in Brazil, they're pointing out the fact that the Anarchs are like, hey, it's time to take over, but we know that, the, as they call them, the Grand Marilla are still out there fighting, trying to take over that territory as well. And it seems that they're easily coming into the territory. But then you have the Anarchs going, ah, wait a second. Let me tell you what's really going on, and this is creepy. We have no way to stop this. We're finding that in between the populated areas of Brazil, all over really in South America, they're showing that there is an unprecedented amount of thin bloods that are just being made and hanging out. And like, we're talking communities of thin bloods that are just like hundreds 
maybe even thousands hanging out in an area that are waiting. And what they're waiting for is real simple. It's a different strategy for the Sabat here. They decided that Brazil is a place to war over, but they're not fools. They know Brazil has an ancient culture and history. There are elders who went to ground there centuries ago, right? Millennia ago. And they're just now probably going to start waking up. And this cult of the sun went there to set the table. And I think it's beautiful. They're there to say there are thousands of them just waiting for any sign, any like beckoning, like boohoo, I need help. And they're going to run in. And they give this analogy of fire ants. That, that I was about to say, go for exactly. it. Exactly. That's exactly the, it, and it's, I think it's the perfect storm because this is exactly where you see where everything lines up correctly. Camarilla Anarchs are there still shitting on the, the small person, but there's too many of them. What are you going to do? And this only helps bolster the fact of why you have Path of Sun adherence. And you're right. There's that aspect of it where they're getting ready to fight, but they're also literally waiting for something. They're waiting for that anteater to feel like it could do something about it until it gets oversworned by those fire ants. And it's 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 perfect shock troops. And that's what makes them. It almost makes you feel like that old school way. Like, is this just as awesome as it was when you took a read the original time of Panders and what they did in accomplishment? And this is their yeah. time now. This is the thin blood, the dust born to be able to go like, our time is here. We're going to prove ourselves to the Sabbat because there is no other way. And they were right the entire time. There's proof in the pudding they were right in the entire time. But the strategy here, they refer to it as hearts and minds. And essentially, at least that's what they refer to it as. But the gist of it is the, the Sabbat have quote unquote left. And because they left, they really um, seemingly leave a gap. And the camera really easily comes in and takes what they had. And they're solidifying what it is. But you got to remember, the Sabbat know what's down below, what's buried mm-hmm. all over the place. They just don't know where. Yeah. And so exactly. these, these thin bloods scatter uh, to the to the wasteland, so to speak, to bolster their number. They do all the creation rites and they're bringing up their people in massive numbers to let the Camarilla get comfortable. And then they occupy outside the cities and they're waiting, i.e. the Camarilla is now bait. They're letting them sit there. These ancients are going to wake up and want to eat. And they're going to get to swallow the Camarilla first, and then comes the Horde. That's kind of the strategy you're seeing there. And it's to the mm-hmm. tune of that. And you have the Anarchs who are there going, yeah, we're kind of stuck in the city. Because uh, leaving's real dangerous if you don't know the hand symbols. And we can fool some of them into believing we're part of the sect, but not all of them. And by the way, they're even killing Sabat out here. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, there are some Sabat who didn't answer the call of the beckoning. They're not going to the Gehenna War. Remember those guys? They're still loyal. They're behind here in the domain, meant to hold it. But they're trying to flex over this cult, and they end up getting mm-hmm. swallowed whole with no question. Like, done, killed, and out. And remember, these guys aren't diabolizing either. It's not their style. They just kill. Right? Because they know the thin blood inherent, the, the dustborn are going to get everything, and they're not going to sully their standing uh, to make that a thing, which makes it really hard for them to deal with. It's easy to make more, as they say. It's a brilliant strategy. That's a scary situation to be in. It's definitely a powder keg. I like how that's written. You know, the game has ever been about sect versus sect politics and violence. And that gives you tons of ammo to use with in Brazil to have even more fun, even bloodier conflicts than were written before. And that's that's cool, you know. And you don't have to fly halfway across the world to have it. You can be in Brazil-centric and have that be Camarilla and have your mixed game of Anarchs and why they would work together. And maybe even though Sabat working with them going, hey, our problem's this cult out here. No, we're the Sabbat of old. We're going to say that. We're old school Sabbat. Can we make that a thing? Like, we don't we don't agree with what you have, but we're not fighting you no more. Why? Because these people is crazy, Jack. 
these people is crazy. And, you know, like, call us anarchists if you like, but we, you know, we do vaniculum. We're the anarchists who like vaniculum still. Vaudry's still hot. But these people going to kill everybody. And then we know why. Can we tell you why? That's our price for being here? Yeah, sure. Yeah, something below. Want help? You can do a crossover game where this now makes mm-hmm. sense. Because what happens when those elders do wake up? And if you're a fan of BJD, that's why I'm super excited about it. Because Becca Shahadair gave you several different bloodlines to talk about those actual elders that were potential bloodlines that were nothing you've ever seen in print recently, right? Or to date, I should really say, that made them that much more unique. And it was cool to see how they operated. And by the way, that strategy they talk about is mentioned in BJD by one of those bloodlines. Maybe you can recall this, that once in a while, they'll go and they'll take over an apartment complex and they get the property and buy the property and they set the people to ghoul the, the owners to have it and it's cheap rent and they take everybody and they maintain the property well and they let it swell with the poor and the people who won't be who, who won't be missed if they're gone to give them a place to be. They let it become a big old ghetto that's just fine or whatever it ends up being and maybe they got money or wealth doesn't matter to them. Just doesn't matter as long as bodies get packed in this place. Now in the basement and the walls are accessible to bodies moving through. Nobody ever questions it. Runs cheap, it's great AC, it's all good, internet's awesome. And at some point, maybe 50 years later, since the opening of this place, everybody just goes missing. Why? Because this bloodline sets up feeding that way. They are gluttons. They love to feed till there's nothing left. For them, feeding till you're full in enough. They feed and feed some more. And they chew on limbs and bones and marrow, blood, they have frenzy fanatics for it. And they wake up and shark everybody. And all the remains are gone, and these ghouls just uh, collect all the money, rinse and repeat, set the new clock, leave and get another place, and let their masters know they have one, and they move on. And it's a it's a great idea. It's a terrifying idea, if you remember that. And I'm looking at V5 Sabat, and I'm going, man, that's the same strategy, but they're using thin... Bl- uh, that's, that's terrifying. And I actually think that's beautifully written for it. Now... We're going to shift gears in two points again. First one is we'll talk about Alamut's fate, and we're going to be kind of kind of quick with this um, because there's not a whole lot to talk about. They mention Alamut, and uh, DJ, tell us a little bit about it because you asked me a question about it. Maybe you found the answer that I was giving you before. Maybe you want to challenge that info here, but if you could, let's bring up this discussion and let everybody know what happens to Alamut here in V5. Alamut, as it's written, it seems like a Rafik is going to go, well, let's find out what happened to Alamud. And as they go over there, they say it's a ghost town. The town is just gone. It's it's gone to the point where there isn't even any trace of blood. There isn't anything there to be found. They All they've heard are stories about what may have been Orshogi and a three-eyed witch um, that have kind of taken over the location. And to make things worse... They find these ashes that are on the wall as if something had crawled upon it, almost demonic in, in, in essence. And this Rafiq just can't explain it at all. Word is that the Ashira is, is aware that something's out there and they will not give succor to anything that happens, especially if it happens to be the greater Shogi. But it's a terrifying story because they can't even answer it themselves. What happened to the members of, of, of Clan Asmite or the Banu Hakim? There's, there's quite a few things we could throw out here because they're still keeping that mystery to the whole thing, right? First and foremost, Azimir Ball, if you read about him, they read fan, I won't say fanfic, we're all fans and it's fiction, right? But the fan, they had stories of Azimir Ball revealing his bodily origins, right? Related to a lover and going with it, a demon in a hand and all that stuff, look it up, as being one of the reasons he left the Sabbat 
and went somewhere. No one knew where. But I like to think he returned Alamut, and I said as much. That to me it was very comfortable he did, because look at Urshul Gi. As bad as you think Azimar Ball is, Urshul Gi was older and more powerful. In fact, Urshul Gi's coming to the clan, if you go back and read that far, was a child walking down a, a tunnel that filled up with blood. You don't know anything that they've existed that could have that power. You, you just don't know how, right? And Urshul Gi's on another level. Heralded the most powerful sorcerer walking is how it went. And that's, that's how it was. And this cat gets embraced by Hakim. How? How would someone that intelligent, that powerful as a mortal must have had powers unheard of, untold? In a time when the skies rain blood we're speaking of, Hakim comes around and says, Hey, little man, you mind helping me out? I need someone of your town to go deal with these fools down in the cave. And he just says, yeah, let's do it. Let me tell you what makes more sense. That we know it's more digestible and makes crystal clear sense. That Hakim's out and about and he's trying to figure out who he is. And Hakim is the war guy. Now, it says the name Hakim means the wise, right? He is someone who is considered wise and whatnot, if you look it up a bit. And you, and you get that. And they like to herald him as this wise warrior, scholar, kind of quiet chain cane walking the earth type. But what if he wasn't? What if he was the war god that he all, everyone always said he was? And he made these soldiers that were fanatics to be the war god's children. And they are there to judge and, and to kill at his weird-ass code of ethics that his cult is set to do. And that's, that's what he's doing. Now, it said... That in the time of Enoch is when he was asked to defend Enoch's borders from a particular enemy. And they said that enemy was the Bali. Now, this is all great stories. They're all very cute, right? You got to have an opposition to have it and it's all great and it helps it out. But I'd like to think that if I'm the Bali, I'm spinning a yarn and I'm spinning a big one. Because here's the folly that comes in. Knowing the Bali origins, and they're the devil-worshipping clan, it says that they came up and they tried to oppose Cain, was one story, and, and Cain whooped the shit out of their founder and just threw him out of the city and banished him. Ha ha ha. All the antediluvians laughed at him. He was scarred forever. Was the most beautiful creature in existence, and Cain fucked him up and left him, had him run out of there ugly. And some dark fate took pity on him and blah, blah, blah. That's one shitty story about it. Another one is, I say that because it's filled with holes. Not that it's a bad story. I actually kind of like that in a fantasy sense. But it just, it doesn't stack up. Another one says that there is a cool Hakim who's just kind of hanging around. And the Bali are wreaking havoc, smoking vampires left and right. And they just don't know how to handle him. And they came out of nowhere. And who knows who made him and all that other stuff. And along comes Hakim to say, I can fix your problem. And he's made to handle it. And he teams up with Solid High Five, Three Eyes, and they leave together. And they wage a war against the Bali that exists to this very night. Do -do 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 -do. Right? Okay. All right. Let me give you another story. And I think it's the simplest one. And it's the one that makes the most sense. Hakim was frequently away from Alamut because there is not a Hakim. Hakim is not a person. You with me still? Think of the heart's blood of the clan, right? The heart's blood of the clan is sacred. It has some of Hakim's blood in it, and it's there. It's shared amongst everyone in the clan to ensure what? Loyalty. And that's a well, isn't it? It's the heart's blood is in a well. You're following me still? Into the right. Bali clan that came out of what? A well. A well. Now, why am I saying that reference? Because it ties simply together, doesn't it? No, everyone, no one disputes this, that the Bali came about because they were wicked bad people at the edge of the woods. And apparently Solid or Zemis, as people like to contest the story, because their writings were both, 
came along and saw it in his sojourn to find out what truly good is and truly evil is, comes along this city and they're all wicked and bad, and whether you want to believe it's Solit or you want to believe it's Zemisa, maybe they're one and the same, and that's a possibility, by the way. Solit goes, or Zemisa goes, hey, you know what, I'm going to show you guys what really evil is. Ha ha ha. Rips them apart, feeds them, destroys them, and throws the remains all into a freaking well. And walks away. Three people crawl out of that well, and they become the Bali clan. And they run about the earth to wreak their havoc. Interesting. So why is it they're the special ones that are singled out for such carnage and experimentation? Doesn't make sense, does it? Now, I'm going to give you a bit of story here. If it's that bloody at that point in time of what's going on, and you know, if you believe the stories of Babylon and how crazy it was, the world was so wicked, God had to flood it to wash it all away. Now, I don't know about you, this means that these people aren't special. Right? If you think about the Sea Peoples of the Lasamba clan, badasses who were just wreaking havoc for no reason. These Bali are not special. They were chosen and it's a great cool story, bro. But no matter what they did, someone else was already doing it. We read about the, Can the Canaanites, right? Throwing people in pits and burning kids and it was allegedly to handle disease. But another way to say it, they said, nope, Bali did that too. And they were of their ilk. Hmm. Well, where's the story? Where's the truth here? And as you start sifting it through, you sit here and go, and so allegedly, the Asimites, or the children of Akim, team up with who? The Salubri to do what? Oppose the Bali who seemingly always resurface, and nobody can ever truly do away with them. Well, how's that possible? Well, it's easily possible. When you're in Alamut, and you have someone like Suge Knight, or Urshulgi, keeping it alive. Right? Keeping the heart's blood going. Why is that important? Well, they, they deoperize. You're eating someone's soul, stealing their power. That's what that clan lives to do. That's not a polite thing. I, I hate to break it to you. Devouring someone's soul is about the... It is the worst thing you can do. There's nothing worse. Right? So these guys exist and they're doing it. Well, why aren't they treated like the Bali are? Oh, well, because the Bali talk to evil things. You're right, they do. And isn't it possible that those evil things are solid? Isn't it possible that it's uh, Hakim? Right? The very concept of what that is? I think it's a laughing joke. Really. I think it's a twist. I think it's another bloodline offshoot of an antediluvian that is the most wicked. It has done the very worst. Now, this is tinfoil hat time, but why I say all this? Because when you read this story about Alamon, I'm going to point something out to you. The occult reference here that is the biggest teller of the tale here is the fact they found soot-like footprints on the scene and I gotcha when you use something like that because that right there references portal magic right since like for a long time it was a demonic reference to opening a portal to another other whether you want to call it hell or a second dimension or the, or a place of hiding and somewhere occluded from this reality and it was strong enough to take a mountain of people according to the description and leave no evidence not a drop of blood left behind on what they did. And if Urshul Ghi is the most powerful sorcerer walking the world, and you still had the Bali around, and you had a three-eyed witch who was able to bloodbind people instantly after one taste of her blood, I hate to break it to you, my theory is holding some strong weight. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give everybody the reason to. I'm just a dark person. It's Halloween. It's October. I love this stuff. I love seeing that it's a possibility, and I love it that they don't answer it. 
right? There's no answer to it. It's just this happened to Alamut. We're not saying they're dead and gone. We're not saying they're still around. We're not saying anything, but suit yourself because we left you the playable, digestible Ashira. Have fun with them. That, that's for you. That's in the kitty end of the pool. Leave that deep end stuff to the adults. Have a good time. Do you. I'm not saying that to be insulting either, because that's what I get left with, right? I'm not right there with you. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't expect to ever play a Weapon Knives again in a game, and I adore that sort of aspect in play, but it's just as much fun doing it the other way. I too like the story of um, children, well, they wouldn't call themselves that anymore, Banu Akeem, um, opposing who they once were because they really did, right? You gotta remember the chilled of Urshulgi al Ashrad opposed what was going on at the mountain. He, he agreed to be neutral to wait for Hakim to come back, as it was said, according to rumor, to see how he handles his house. Apparently, how he handles that is to swallow everyone and take them wherever. And it's only those he cared for. And we will see in later, no doubt later books, something of this, because it's too great of a mystery for them to just disappear. And they got a lot of leeway to make it even more interesting, at least enough to get my money's worth. And I agree. And I think the reason why it's also included is because it only proves just how terrible dealers are. You have no idea. And especially if you're taking it, it might have been a Rafiq or it could have been another person just kind of taking a look at it from a Sabat aspect of like, well, we know where Alamut is. Let's go find Urshul Gi, not knowing what Urshul Gi is. And these reports come back. This is a, uh, this is a thing. We know at least Urshul Gi in canon. And to know that is to know the enemy and to know that the enemy walks and has that much more power. Imagine what it would be like if you were to encounter it. But it's also a nice little Easter egg, as Bob was saying, and I can't wait. I, I hope and I pray that somehow we get another book that kind of addresses it and or mentions, you know, the path of blood as it now is by comparison to what it was written before. Absolutely. Know, we'll see what happens there. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun, too. Um, and finally, I want to do it because technically it would be a close, except I want to add this. They get into a huge storytelling section of how to implement your Sabbath. They don't leave you in blind. Uh, to how would you use it and what would you use it for. They definitely give you training wheels and tons and tons and tons of different ways and pathing to go with at different levels of where the Sabbat would leave a city, about to leave a city, we're never in the city. However you want to see it, whether you want to do a crusade or kind of a surge method or whatever you want to do, this is all in here. Tons of content. Don't forget the rituals are in here too, in depth. We deliberately are not going through that because we want to eventually get back to our normal routine of different books, but also because we want to leave you something to enjoy. This book is filled. It's it's honestly my favorite book in V5 right now, as uh, is where it is, because I feel it does justice. Uh, to what the, I am a super fan of the Sabbat, but I'm also a realist. When things move forward, this is the tale of the tape, and I side with them. You had to write them moving on because basically it's put up or shut up. You were either talking shit about your ability to oppose the antediluvians, or you're actually going to do it. And they're actually doing it. And this is what that looks like. So when you ask yourself what the Gehenna War is, they've given you many seeds and many indicators of what it is without giving you a hardcore can I think it'd be boring as hell to get a book of Gehenna War city by city, step by step, module by module. Now we right. fight the Methuselah of Clan Burha. This is so and so. When and I only say that because wouldn't it be better if you created a unique ancient for for that mm -hmm. to happen? If you really truly want to do it, and you're really truly going to play with the Gehenna War, and you want the camera to be there, or you're with the Ashira, and you're over there to see what happened to describe how this mindless, well, not mindless, but this fanatical sect is waging war digging in the sand looking for this ancient who erupts upward who might have sent missives via the beckoning or what have you already out there to bring the Ashira to court to speak to them about demands. 
and and the cool scenes you could have from that to orchestrate that or flat out you say screw not using this book for what it is and we're going to let players be sabat and we're going to do the gehenna war well that's great you have an esbot that's going to take them out and first night you're going to first moonlight you're going to drive forward and attack this ancient you might want to slow play the ancient to make it worth your time naturally scholars want to dig up info about it and people want to make sure they're at the right side or what is in this book to point out let's talk turkey let's talk antediluvians and quite frankly what they have written here about antediluvians pound for pound felt like they had stole my thoughts and put them on paper and i should get trademarks for some of this but then i thought about it it's not really that we're all lovers of the material and guess what they're the ones who control the rights to it so that's that's where it comes from and i'm joking about all that and there's no i'm just i respect what they wrote and here's where it is, right? They talk about the thematic element of the Antediluvians. And they don't say they're never going to use them. What they point out is the enemy unknown. This is the section we're talking about. And what they say here is that given the time period from which the Antediluvians are, what they would be then is the question you're going to answer. Are they really cursed Neolithic humans? Are they mythological entities on the order of gods, demigods, or the like? How about anthropomorphic at all? Or are they themselves the curse that run through their despised lineage, such as Malkath? Right? We all know about that madness in the blood, and he speaks some and drives him insane. Is uh, Zamish truly a giant ball of a flesh monster rolling through the city saying, be a good lad to Lombok Ruthven? Or is he sitting in a baby flesh sack at, at the womb of Yorak, resurrected because you can't kill him? Can you even kill an antediluvian? Is it even possible? And those questions are what the Sabbat have to struggle with as they're in mid-war. All their scholars tell them stories about how the, the Gangrelanta Diluvian is really a folkloric tales. How it's living in the crust of the earth, moving around slowly, or it's all the animals in existence, and it's the primal force of nature. How terrifying is that that you said you're going to kill it? How would you kill it, DJ? You can't. I mean... You could try, but I think that's where you you test your faith. And that's another portion of it is you still have to test your faith to find out whether or not this is really what you want to go through with. And sometimes you do and you're like, well, there's only one way to find out. Um, and other ways you're like, this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. And you start marching in the opposite direction. And so here you have the answer as to why you might have certain Sabbat leave the sect. Once you slow down and think about your target, the antediluvians, you begin to understand that you're not going after the antediluvians. You're not. You're going after their pawns. You're going after their children. Those lineages that you can prove not only exist, at least they're still human-esque. And even they are like demigods of power. If you've ever asked yourself, how come Carthius, or Critias, Critias, not Carthius, how does Critias get to walk around unmolested? I mean, he's like a known fifth-gen Bruja ancient. Well, I think it's because he's not as known as you think he is, not as that. Many different disguises he has, and sure, we know when we read the book, but how is he portrayed? How is he rolled out? Helena Troy is still dancing around Chicago as well, but they don't go for her. Menelay went somewhere. What's going on with that? But these are people who most assuredly could tell you what the antediluvian was like and what they looked like when they encountered them. You know, someone like Montano always knew where La Sombra was, and we know La Sombra was not destroyed. And this is something they keep the Sabbat up during the day. They said they're declaring a war, they moved to fight this war, and here they are over here answering the beckoning for whatever it is, trying to discover what's going on with it and to deal with it. And they still don't have a hard, direct answer as to what that's all about. Who back in, why back in, what that means, other than it's pulling them where they're pulling them. Now, why is that? 
because the beckoning transcends any sectarian title. The Camarilla won't hold sway of it. You're not going to find the answer to the beckoning the Camarilla book. The Anarchs nor the Sabbat. That's too easy. That's not how this works. They will have plenty of different creative ideas to implement snippets of what it might be or what people will say it is because it could be anything. You could think about it right now and the beckoning could be um, um, a Malkiv using the call that it, that it said on a magnificent level due to a ritual pulling all these elders over and <laughs> it's a grand prank if you want to be that cheesy. You could say that it's uh, actually an, an antediluvian that woke briefly and went back to sleep after devouring a town but his children are up maddened and shook to, to a world that they wouldn't understand because it's modern, right? Think how what happened when Ravnos woke up and how that was. And what does it look like when another antediluvian does the same thing but doesn't make it as dramatic as all that? What does it look like? They already put in V5 that there were snippets of what it meant to have Sabat running through the street waging war on these ancients and the Lasombra who came back telling a terrifying tale of just one ancient they encountered. So terrifying, it was enough to get the Lasombra to leave the entire sect to join the Camarilla in opposition of what was going on. So what we have here is a tale that says this. The Sabbat are going to fight the Gehenna War to take out the ancients they can and become stronger for it in the hopes that they're doing what the Dark Father will come in and help them do. It's a Hail Mary's Hail Mary. It's we're out here to wipe them out because we said that's what we're here to do. And we're now here to do it, bound by blood together. This is our existence. In the course of us doing it, if Cain doesn't step forward, does not reveal himself to witness what we do, to give his blessing, then we are left with the tender mercies of these errant, diabolical entities, whatever they may be, when we're left there, if we're, if we're even alive. Right? And they don't hard say the Sabbat dies there. They don't say they lose. In fact, they tell you a tale where they're chasing something. Right? Right now, they're chasing something all the way into Russia, uh, the way one report is. But you also have stories that there are more scary things out there than we could have realized. And what they have done here, simply put, is they said, the game you love isn't over. This isn't a story of how V5 is over. This isn't... And I think people are confused about that overall. Reading this book, I had feelings that... It was almost written defensively. Like they were trying to help people, help us realize that we're not saying that the world of darkness is coming. The vampires are not dead here. We're not talking about their death. We're talking about the evolution that is going to bring in better blood. Right? That though they're immortal, things can change and it's okay to change them. And they've gotten rid of a lot of the canonical characters and the, the hard and fast, this is what this is and this is what that is. And they've left you with options and choices to tell better and more enriching stories that you can interconnect the relationships with throughout all the material for your up-and-comers. Because the goal is to make your players the movers and shakers who, in your home chronicle, become your canon characters for those great stories you're going to tell. Agreed. And I think that was a really, really good move by the company to do so. Because I think that's the issue that we always ran into. And let's be honest, even having canon is a crutch. And it, it kills us because what we do is, as much as we try to move away from it, we try marching to the tune of it because it's it's handheld. It's handholding, right? It's what leads us along the way. But they, they give you the story up until now. It's up to you. Either they don't... You know, I think one of the, the, the glowing things I have to say about this book, for as much opposition as someone might have, I think it's an intelligent book because it treats 
it's like watching a movie where you don't want too much exposition given to you, otherwise it ruins everything. It's better when they just leave the breadcrumbs where you could understand it, even up until now. In fact, so much so that even though this book is antagonist, the authors laid Easter eggs in, and I'll give you a couple of hints. There are ways to play Sabat. They give you slight mechanics in there in which if you were to play a Sabat, you mm-hmm. could pick it up. What happens if you get stains and stuff? They don't they don't have to walk you through it. If you're reading the book, you'll see it and you're like, I can make my character Sabat. I know what I'm going to do for Sabat's story. You have the original book put both and both together. There's your story. I-, I thought that was clever and I thought that was very respectful of the authors to treat us that way. And and it's not only awesome to do, we've done it. You know, we've, we've ran a, a Sabat Chronicle just to feel what it was like to take them from actual Sabat as we knew it to updating them ourselves mm-hmm. and to see that we were right in some areas and actually mostly uh, it, it fit along with what went on and uh, to see how difficult it is to maintain those ideologies when challenged, when right. it becomes put up or shut up. And that's that's what this is all about. And I adore writing like this. It helps people out. But with that said, we hope you enjoyed our take of going through this and of course, letting you know what's in here. Please buy the V5 Sabat book, go out and take it. Uh, the Black Hand is worthy of your purchase and your perusal to tell kind of a, uh, a current step in the saga that is the uh, the Anarchs who refuse to bend the knee, as it said, and uh, they become something else and something more terrifying than I would say that they, this most terrifying group, like as scary as the Bali were, I think this book is more terrifying. I'll tell you why. It's really easy to be creeped out by something that comes from hell and to say what it is and hell's kind of played out. You kind of know it's monstrous, it's extra dimensional and little holy water goes a long way and the Vatican can save you. Well, nothing can save you from the Sabbat. They could be your neighbor, your best friend, whatever it is, and their faith and what they believe is right is what's going to see them through. And scarification of the body, the ruination of your homes, your all of it. And why? Because they believe in a superiority that can't be questioned. And they are backed by their elbow-to-elbow true sabbat that are there to march them forward at the kind words of a pack priest that is the most scary evangelical thing you've seen. To march an army forward to go after these alleged ancients that are out here beckoning forward to a war that they say has to happen. But they offer you no proof as to why, other than to say that they are correct. Because look at the Grand Marilla. I love that term, by the way. Grand Marilla referring (laughs) to the old people. It's so cool that the Dustborn is starting to get that lingo. Um, But it's something to consider and uh, to look at. Be your own judge. Do enjoy. Reach out to me and DJ to challenge us and ask questions. Uh, We'll probably answer them on the ST Circle. Tune in for those as we have them out. And uh, we appreciate you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, thank you, DJ, for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, folks, for listening in. See you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com if you would like to support us we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade